next Sunday, we have a special guest. And if you want a seat, you better get here early. Praise God. You will not want to miss next Sunday. Glory to God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to open our hearts and receive your word. I pray by your spirit, you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to receive and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I just am going to kind of continue along the theme we've been focused around here, which I think is ultimately the theme that we will spend eternity um, focused on. We've been talking about the throne of God. We have looked at a lot of different aspects up to this point of God's throne. We kind of set the stage by looking at John uh, in the book of Revelation as Pastor Christie was reading. But chapter 4, and you know, most people who talk about the book of Revelation know that it's a book of the end of this age. Now, it's not the end of everything. It's the end of this age and the kind of the picture of what is to come. And so there's a lot of troubles outlined in the book, a lot of, you know, difficulties that are prophesied concerning the end of the age. But really, it's a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's good news, even though if you look at it kind of on the short run, you say, oh my gosh, look at all those things that are kind of pronounced over the end of the age. Like a woman giving birth, you know, she has this hope that there's going to be a child, but she knows there's a good chance she's going to experience some discomfort through all of that. And um, so, but in John chapter, I'm sorry, Revelations chapter 4, John uh, the Apostle is given an open vision, and in the vision he receives an invitation, and the invitation is, John, come on up here. I want to show you things that are about to happen. And the first thing that John sees is the throne of God and those who are around the throne and what's going on around the throne. And we've simply said this, that before God wants to talk about all the stuff going on in the world and that's going to happen in the world, he wants our hearts anchored on this simple but essential truth. God is on the throne. And if you want to know the things that are about to happen, here it is. This is what the future looks like. The future looks like God seated on his throne. And forever and ever and ever, God is on his throne. The devil's not on the throne. He's not in charge of what's going on and so on. So we've been taking time, rather than talking about all the you know, things that are prophesied, you know, the mark of the beast and all this stuff, I tell you what, we need to spend some more time letting the throne of God and what's going on at the throne of God imprint us with such a boldness and such a confidence that nothing, no fear, because all the other stuff that the people of the earth experience and will be moved by and manipulated by is all fear-based. Fear-based. You want to know how the masses th throughout history have been taken advantage of? It's based on fear. Fear of not having food, fear of their own lives, fear, 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 fear. And I'm telling you, God wants to deliver a people from fear, even the fear of death. That's how the martyrs went to their martyrdom, because God had worked such a work in them that they saw past death. 
You know, the, 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 the harsh reality is it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, the Bible says. All of us, unless we happen to be alive at his coming, all of us are going to taste, pass through that door of death. But we have the privilege of staring past death. Death has no final say in our lives. And so I believe that God right now is wanting to so encourage his church, his people, He's wanting to so mark us with an assurance and a confidence and a, a freedom that nothing will intimidate us and keep us from enjoying life and being faithful all the way to the end. And so the throne, we've been looking at it, and the reason we've been looking is because there, at that place where God is seated, he's the one in charge. When you see God's in charge, you know, uh, it really is, is liberating. When I'm in charge, that's scary. When you're in charge, it's scarier yet. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> woo! Just trying to see if you're awake. You know, it's like the person... I'm a, I'm a terrible uh, backseat driver or side seat driver. I'm the guy that wants to grab the steering wheel, you know. <laughs> Christy's driving, I'm like, hey, slow down, go, you know. <laughs> but when God's driving... Come on, God's got the wheel, he's in charge, and we're going somewhere with God. <laughs> Praise God. So, uh, the throne, we've been looking at various elements that God chose to include in his vision that he gave John. The Bible records them, and if the Bible records them, it's because God, these things are written for our admonition and instruction up for us upon whom the ends of the age have come, Paul says. So these things are written for us, you know. God wants us to get something from them. So we're going to be, as far as I know, we're just going to be hanging out around this theme until God says, you know, kind of steer differently. But So I was pondering, and God keeps speaking to me. I have notes upon notes that he's giving me concerning his throne and concerning the people that are around the throne and the impact of those people on them and then through them. But uh, today I wanted to take a few moments and look at one picture in the scripture of a throne. It's not technically what we would say, you know, God seated on his throne like we read in Revelations, but it is a throne that is a picture of Christ and his throne. And you know this, I realize, but just to be good Bible students, it's important for us to say this, that the Bible basically is a book about Jesus. Really, if you wanted to sum it up, and I just want to give you a couple references, if you, you know, good students that you are, Psalms 40, verse 7 and 8. This is an Old Testament account that's actually reiterated in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, but here's what it says. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Now that's Psalms 47 and 8. And it's actually a, a messianic psalm. It's where the, Jesus is speaking through the psalmist about himself coming. And here's what he says. I'm coming. I'm coming. He wants the world to know he's not. I'm coming. And then he says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You want to know what the volume of the book is about? It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about the person that God 
is and wrapped himself up in to show himself to us here on earth, the person of Jesus. Same principles carried out uh, in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. We talked a little bit about the, those on the road to Emmaus. Um, Jesus shows up to a couple guys who are discouraged because he's been crucified and he, they had all their hope in him. And in verse 27, Jesus is walking beside them and he begins to talk to them. And they don't even know it's Jesus. And this is what it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So do you want to know what all the scriptures are about? The things concerning himself. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. You know, so the book, the volume of the book. Some people say that the Bible is a series of small books. I can understand that, and amen, not trying to get, pick a fight over that, you know. Uh, but I believe the, the Bible is a book compiled of smaller books. And so it's a book, and in the volume of the book, the whole book, is written of Jesus. Let's say that differently. Anywhere you go in your Bible, any story you read, any account you're looking at, you should be able to find the person of Jesus in that story and in that account. It's a nice, simple way of saying it. The book is about the revelation, the unveiling of who he is as a person. So we have a lot of stories that involve people like David, but in those stories, there is a picture, a type, if you will, of the person of Christ. It's like Joseph who's sold into slavery by his brethren, and then he's you know, put in the pit. That's a picture of Jesus who was, who was wrongly accused and all these things that happened to Jesus, who Jesus was literally put in a pit in Caiaphas' house and so on, and yet he's exalted, and he goes in front of his brethren and all the things. It's a great, wonderful picture, but it's, the natural was a picture of a guy named Joseph, but the type is the one of Christ. And so all throughout the scriptures we have this. I said all of that. <laughs> Because today, I want to talk to you a little bit about Solomon, King Solomon, who has a throne, and it's a glorious throne. And I'm telling you, around the throne of Solomon in his day, there was no king like him in the earth. And his throne was amazing. I mean, lions, you know, statues, but coming up the, the steps and just amazing. And his fame was worldwide. And if you're interested and you kind of like to dig around in these kind of things, you could read Psalm 72. We're not going to do it today, but you could jot it down. It is, you know, uh, concerning Solomon, and there's so many prophetic promises about Solomon that are clearly speaking about the person of Christ. Now, all that said, because uh, I'm, I'm praying that as good Bible students, you care, you know, that what we're talking about is biblical and accurate. That's my hope, that you have a concern for that, and I want to make sure that the stage is set properly in order to receive the truths that are here. So we have this account. I've preached in various ways over the years from this text. Those of you who've been around, uh, open your ears afresh. Amen. Let God speak afresh to us today. But uh, this is the account where... Someone hears of the fame of Solomon from a distant land, the Queen of Sheba. Okay, the Queen of Sheba hears about this guy Solomon, and she makes a trek to see him, and she has an encounter with him. She sees him on his throne and so on. Now, how does that relate to us? I know you're with me, but just kind of let me say it anyways. Because our goal is if we can glean some truth about approaching God's throne and that letting that experience impact us in such a way that way, the way we do life is different. That's what happened with Sheba. 
She came, she saw, she was changed, and she went back and did things differently. And my prayer is that as a people, we'll, we'll boldly approach the throne of God's grace. Something will change in us and we'll do life differently. Are you with me? This isn't just religion here. We're talking about an encounter with God that actually changes us. And that's a, that's a personal you know, decision, I think, because God's going to meet hungry people. You know, the proud he has cast off, but the humble, that humble to me is those who don't know it all. So take off your know-it-all hat, amen, put on your hungry hat, and say, Jesus, I just, I need more of you today. I want more of you today. I don't have it all figured out. Forgive me for my know-it-all stuff, and, and let me just receive something fresh and new from your presence, God, today, because we all need something to change those areas that are yet to be changed. Praise God. So 1 Kings chapter 10. What I'd like to do today is just kind of read the account to you and then, you know, we've got this awesome time to celebrate coming up. Good Friday, we heard about it. By the way, I believe we're going to get the movie theater uh, to show the Passion film. We're going to open it up to the community. There'll be some limited seating, but we'll keep you posted on that. Um, but we have this awesome opportunity with the whole world, really, in some form or another. Nobody can ignore that something happened, and we're going to celebrate Easter, you know, and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so there's some great stuff coming up. But this text, the reason I say that right now is because I'm going to, I feel like, be drawn from this text for weeks to come, but we'll kind of see how that incorporates into the celebration of the resurrection as well. 1 Kings chapter 10, let me read. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great entourage, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cup bearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Some translations say, you know, her spirit uh, left her or whatever. It's like she just, she, she, she fainted. She was just like, oh. I mean, she was just overwhelmed, okay, because of what she saw. Would to God that that be our experience in the presence of the Lord. Her breath left her, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then 
she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood was, has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked, besides that which was given to her by the bounty of the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Wow, what an account. She came, she came prepared just in case this report was true. She wanted to be able to honor this king. Honor him the way he deserved to be honored with her life. And boy, how he could invest in her because of her willingness because she was in awe so when i was pondering this and you could you could i tell you there's just a ton may the spirit of revelation and the spirit of god help us here today but there's so much truth sitting in this passage of scripture concerning our king the king jesus you know i just want to give you some high level things and we're going to drill down into a few of them can't get them all today there, there's not enough time <laughs> there's just too many wonderful things God wants to say here. Um, the impact she has seeing Solomon on his throne. There's just a couple points that jumped out at me. First thing was she heard of his fame. Then after she heard, she came. She actually did something with what she heard. And then once she came, she saw, personally saw some stuff. In the midst of all that, she ends up testifying She's not going to hold this stuff in. She's testifying of what she sees. And then she gave of her life. And she also received from the king in return. Actual things, substance. And then she went back to her own people as a witness of his greatness. Simple little truths. But you know, as the preacher, i got to break it down, right? That's my job. So, first point. I'm not a point preacher, but here we go. First point, when she heard, that's where we started this text, when she heard of the fame of Solomon. In our world now today, we're talking about when people hear of the fame of Jesus, his greatness. She heard. It all kind of starts there, doesn't it? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Let me read to you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, get, get, stay with me now. Come on. The queen of Sheba heard of Solomon. How did she hear? Well, somebody was in the land where Sheba was, you know, the Sheba. And somebody there said something about him and his throne. Somebody's got to say something. So Paul here picks up on this very theme and he says, you know, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But 
How can they call on the one they've never believed? And how are they going to believe unless somebody tells them? They've got to be somebody telling them. And somebody was in Sheba's land, way out nowhere, telling her about the fame. Now, let me say this, kind of break it down for us. Every one of you is here today because in some form or another, you heard about him. Somebody said something about him. So Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This word, you know, without a preacher, how shall they know without a preacher? Because you know, everybody says, yeah, that's right. That's what you do, right? Up there, that's you, pastor. You're the preacher. No, no, we the preacher. We the preacher. And I was just reading something from Ben Carson, you know, this we the people movement. I was saying, what about the we the preacher movement? We the preacher. It's a new movement. I'm going to start it. Grassroots movement. We the preacher. How shall they know? Except somebody tells them. How will they hear without a preacher? The word preacher is an interesting word. I just got to give it to you because I think it helps us here this morning. In the Greek language, this word, it, this is what it means. A herald, somebody who would herald something, as a public crier. A public crier. Somebody who's not ashamed to publicly speak. Have you heard this story? True story. So we went to, uh, years ago, Christy and I got this special deal where you agree to go watch some timeshare speech. Ever done one of those? <laughs> Come on, we could all get up and do a lap in the room right now. And, uh, and the deal was after that, they, you know, you get a couple nights stay and you get to go to like Epcot or Disney or whatever. And we just, you know, we were just, I don't know where we, we were, we were deceived, we were dumb. I don't know why we did it, but we did it. And so we went, we endured the speech and we held the gun and we didn't buy. Glory to God. <clears throat> so we ended up at Epcot, but I was, I was already feeling beat up. I didn't want to be there. I had a terrible headache. You know, just the stress of saying no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like, it's not even worth the silly Disney World stuff, you know? But I'm, so I'm feeling rotten, but we're going to do it because we're there and we went to Epcot. Never been to Epcot, and you know, it's got like all these different nations in the world and stuff like that. So I just got this rotten attitude. Feeling bad. Acting bad. <laughs> it was just miserable, yeah. So we come around, and we're just, I'm just trying to get through the place, you know? So we come up on this old, uh, like... British London town setting somewhere, and there's, you know, so it's got all the medieval, medieval thank you, yeah. And there's this cr town crier, somebody out in the street, and they're calling together this gathering because they want to do this outdoor drama, this outdoor skit, you know. And so I'm just tired, and we say, so, ah, hear ye, hear ye, you know, come on, come on, you know. So people start gathering around, and so we're, I, we stand, we're in the back, we're in the crowd, you know. And they start going on, it was really, Kind of entertaining, but my attitude, as I said, was just rotten. I'm just kind of there. And all of a sudden, they start recruiting people from the crowd. And uh, they're looking for a king. And, 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 I, and the guy points to him through the crowd, and I thought it was me. But it wasn't. It just missed me. Doom. It was like the guy beside me. My heart went, oh. I was like, oh, Jesus. So everybody claps, and you know, this guy's like, he's turning red like I do, you know. And, he, and, they, and they pull him up front, and they start, and they put on this little outfit for him. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, jeez, that, that was close. You know, kind of ponder. Well, then we're on to the next people in the play. 
And you got it. Lo and behold, Sir Lancelot. <laughs> Sir Lancelot. <laughs> this is no joke, man. This is straight up. And out from the midst of the crowd, and you know, da, 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 Sir Lancelot. And this one was no mistake, man. It was bullseye. You! <laughs> Boom! And I'm like, <laughs> you don't know what kind of actor you're recruiting. I can't do this, man. This is not going to be good for you. And it's not going to be good for me. But all the pressure, you know, everybody there. Oh, yeah! And my wife, <laughs> who's been watching my attitude all day, she just bust out, man. She's just like, oh, my gosh, this is the Lord. <laughs> Got him busted. To have a picture of her face. I'm serious. It was just. So through the crowd I go to get my, my garment. Pogo stick with a horse. You think this is red. But it was like steamy red that day. I was like, you know, this, this is my attitude was just. What do you do? Rotten attitude, rotten heart. Just don't even want to, you know, and, and all of a sudden God goes, you! I'm going to break you out of this thing. I'm going to pull you right out in the middle of it all. And I'm going to ask you to play a role. I'm going to ask you to, <laughs> with a pogo stick. <laughs> Got to start somewhere, brother. Got to start somewhere. In the telling of the greatest story ever told, the story of the king recruiting a town crier. You know, God right now is recruiting. You could be sitting here with your rotten attitude today, thinking, what am I even doing at church? Why am I here? What's going on? And God's saying, there's a story that's got to be told. There's an audience being gathered to hear it. And you're in it. <laughs> Get over your stuff would be a good word. Get over your stuff. You know, I left. Actually, I have to tell you, after that, I felt better. That's no joke. I felt better. Something broke off of me that day. It stopped raining. That's no joke. I'm serious. Pardon my little squeaks. I got a little thing on my throat here. <clears throat> I'm not kidding. It was like God said, you know what? I, get over yourself. <laughs> Come on. The town crier. How will people know? The queen of Sheba heard because somebody was willing to say, there's a king worth coming to. There's a life and a person worth seeing and beholding. Don't sell your life so short to think that you're it and everything you have is worth consuming. There's more than just you. And if all you're doing is building your own little kingdom, the queen of Sheba, her own little box. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Somebody had the boldness to say, there's more than just you. <laughs> there's a king. There's a king. 
whose wisdom and grandeur raises the quality of life for all who get near him. Come and see him. Get out of your stuff and let his stuff become your stuff. Why sell yourself so short for your own limited kingdom when there's a king whose storehouse never runs dry? He, he can answer every question life throws. That's the king we're talking about. But how will people know about him if we, you know, it seems clear to me that the person who told Sheba had been there him or herself. How do you talk about somebody that you haven't yourself heard about? So it all starts with hearing, receiving. You know, in Queen Sheba, she had an actual series of uh, steps she actually employed here because the message she heard was enough to motivate her to do something. Now, there's a lot of messages that don't motivate us to do anything. But this message had enough in it to move her from where she was, if it was even remotely true, it would be worth making the trek to go. A public crier. That's, I believe, all of our role. You know, today with social media, though it has its negative elements, it also has huge possibilities to publicly announce the greatness of the king. I'm asking God to give us a fresh vision for being heralds, public criers. Public can be social media. It can be in your witness where you work. It can be among the people. Unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed of the gospel message. Whatever tools, I, I'm confident if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he would use social media. Now, you might not agree with me, but you know, I believe that Paul, it wasn't about the, 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 the methodology, the tools of the day, as much as it was about getting the word out. The power of the gospel. Tell you, people getting, you know, today. Today it's not working, I don't think, at the moment, but our, we have live streaming. And I tell you, people get touched through live streaming. People hear the word of the Lord, people can feel the presence of God. You know, I mean, I, there's nothing to me like actually being there, but if you can't be there because you're shut in or you got something, you're traveling, you know, we just need to get, wake up to where we're living, you know, and say, God, whatever, you know, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means, there it is, win some. By all means, God, whatever tools I have that are ethical and they're clean, let me use them to get the job done. And the job is, somebody's got to speak about it. She heard, and that was where it began for her. Public criers. It's kind of sad to me, but we read it in the initial text. Because when she finally gets there and she's talking to Solomon, he's answered all of her questions a little bit further down. She makes a reference here. She says, you know, your fame, let me just read it to you. This is in verse 7 of 1 Kings 10. She says, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. So whoever told her only told her not even the half. 
Now that to me is a little concerning. It's an important piece of information because, you know, I believe that we should preach, come on, the full gospel. The half. She says, I mean, what, let's think of it like this. What would have happened if the person who told her about Solomon had told her more than the half? What would have the response been then? It might have been more timely. It might have been, she might have brought, she might have brought more substance with her to give to Solomon. Her devotion and dedication might have even been deeper. I mean, things could have happened in a different way if the whole truth had been told. Thank God there was enough present in the message to get her to move. But what would have happened if more than the half? I mean, she's kind of disappointed, not disappointed in what she saw in Solomon, but it was almost like, those people, they didn't tell me the whole thing. You know, it's like, why'd you keep that from me? You know, why, why is it we're tempted to not tell the whole truth. Why? Paul, the apostle, says this, Romans 15 and verse 19. Romans 15, 19, he says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now notice this, the setting Paul puts that in. Signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Through all these regions, I want you to know I didn't tell half the story, I told the whole story. I fully preached the gospel. That's a gospel full of miracles. That's a gospel full of exceeding great and precious promises. That's not a watered-down, mamby-pamby gospel. That's a gospel that says a man came as God in the flesh and died for all of your sin. And not only that, God raised him from the dead. And those who believe can be saved, not only saved, they too can have the power that raised him from the dead living in them. It's not I just I'm going to hang on until Jesus comes gospel. It's I'm going to get full of the Holy Ghost gospel and be a witness for him while I have breath in my body on this side of glory. And I'm going to do all that he's called me. That's the full gospel. It means that these promises are for today. And I just feel, you know, obviously a little worked up about that. <laughs> I got some zeal for this because I feel like we're, we're you know, there's some fruit from the gospel that's being preached. I mean, like Sheba came on half a gospel, but it doesn't make it right. And what would happen if there was a fresh commitment to the full gospel? What would happen? Everybody's saying, oh, you know, Jesus is coming soon and, and we got to get souls in the kingdom. Well, why don't you use all the tools in the pouch? Why write some of them off as historical occurrences that no longer exist? Why do that? The full gospel. <clears throat> so she heard. And then she came. Again, I, I'm just trying to glean out a few truths as we look at this story as it relates to us. We hear... And then God wants to know what our response is to what we've heard. She heard, and what she heard, she probably pondered that, hmm, if that's really the way it is, 
then I need to do something about what I've heard. Hearing and not acting, hearing and not acting, I believe, is denying what we've heard. We think that there's this place called, called, called in the middle, you know. Christy read it in, in one of the texts she read at the Church of Laodicea. Be hot, be cold, because lukewarm or just in the middle does not stay. Jesus says, I will spew that out of my mouth as if I'm not going to keep that one, you know. You got to choose which way you're going. Hot, cold, in, out. You choose. Somewhere along the line, we hear, and then it's a matter of what are you going to do with that? Amen. What are you going to do with that? And then you make, and thank God, you know, God, God works with us. I can remember hearing and chewing and waiting and delaying and, you know, and God in his mercy continued to bring his word to me and continued to pursue me. And, and ultimately, I said Amen. And then instantly I was perfect. No, no, no. All I said amen to was that I can't do it on my own. There's someone greater than me. I'm no longer going to spend my whole life trying to build my little kingdom. I actually believe there's a kingdom that's bigger and better than mine that I've invited to be a part of. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I believe that. And I actually started showing up to see if it was true. Like Sheba moved. And she showed up to see. <clears throat> so we preach, we teach, we exhort, we herald, we make known publicly outside. Listen, this has got to happen outside of these four walls. We make known. And then God begins to draw people, and people come. And for Sheba, she came, and when she came, look what she did. It's kind of an important, I think, act here. Well, let me, let me stick to my note for a second. I'm going to at least try one second to stick to my note here. She came <clears throat> a great distance, really. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus makes a reference of the Queen of Sheba. Jesus actually speaks about her. Did you know that? Jesus says about the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South. This is Matthew 12 and verse 42. The queen of the south, that's Sheba, shall condemn this generation because she came from the ends of the earth to hear Solomon's wisdom. And notice this, and a greater than Solomon is here. Think about that. Jesus is saying, when this is all said and done, and we're all gathered into eternity for these things to be known for how they really are. He said the queen of Sheba is going to condemn this generation because when she heard of the fame of Solomon, of his wisdom, she came a long way. And he says, and a greater than Solomon is here talking about himself. In essence, what he's saying is, She'll condemn them because she came for an earthly king and you won't respond for a heavenly king. Wow. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? 
I mean, that kind of gets right in your living room. The Queen of Sheba. So, so the, let's say it, let's kind of just piggy on that for a second, piggyback on that for a second. If the gospel the person preached or the, the report the person gave about Solomon was compelling, how much more compelling should our gospel be? How much more devoted to this message should we be? Those who herald it, and then how much more should we be saying, God, you know, I, I know this, if I could ever see you for who you really are, the chances of my response, my appropriate response would be higher. You know, I, I think the burden, if I can say it this way, my, my burden is this as a pastor. Let me just kind of put it in my world for a second. I want to do the best I possibly can to present and represent the person of Christ and the gospel. Because I know that the, the more I allow God to do that through my life, the higher chances there are of you being inspired enough to do something with it. You hear it. You know, because sometimes people fall out because preachers are doing stuff. Well, guess what? We the preachers, we the preachers, you know, there's a message we're carrying. And, it, and the, the depth of it, the value of it, the, 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 the reality of it should be infectious. It should just cause people to say, you know what, there's something going on, man. I got to know about that. I got, you know what, when I, when I take whatever's going on in that person's life and I compare it to my life, there should be a difference. There should be something that is calling me to that if it's really the real thing, right? We should be moved. And I believe God's wanting to give us such a ministry. Where does that start? By us personally being in awe of him. You can't really preach what you haven't seen. It's hard to give what you haven't received, you know? What does a man have but that he hasn't first received it from the Lord? So when we make opportunities to come and worship and when we have op chances to come, listen, I know it, there was an ex some ex exhortations that have come out lately and perhaps at times you feel like, oh, you're just messing with my business. Well, I'm so thankful that it's not me that's been saying them. Amen. Other people, you know, I think it's just uh, uh, the voice of God and his mercy is crying out to us and he's saying, you know what? Don't just get here late because you don't like the worship, but you want to hear the preacher or vice versa, whatever. Avail yourself of opportunities to let the king in his beauty so impact you that wherever you go afterwards, it's on you. It's on you. The greatness of the king is on you. You know? Well, I pay my tithes, Pastor. Amen. But you know, it's, it, that's just a little piece of the equation. You know, worship is, 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 is that, but it's so deeper than that. It's, it's a heart, like Pastor Christie was saying today, a heart open. It's a heart longing. It's a heart that says, God, I so need a touch from heaven today. Would you just come and, and, and break off all that predictable religious stuff off of my life and bring me into the wondrous adventure of who you are? I refuse to settle into a pew somewhere and get bored with my Christianity because that's not the king I heard about and it's not the king I read about. He's greater than Solomon. That's why Sheba could condemn him. 
condemn the generation, I should say, because a greater than Solomon. And if she was willing to do what she did and see what she saw and was so influenced by it, how much more me? So, so here's the deal for me. You know, no condemnation for any of us because all of us are somewhere and God's mercifully bringing us along. But here's the, hopefully the, what you're hearing as I say that. Let's be a people who have set our hearts to see him for who he really is. Let's make our primary high job, high call, is to, to be near him so we can be like him. Amen. Near him so we can be like him. So that whatever's on him gets on us. So that the impact of the message we carry as we go out and about our lives is so compelling because it's been so convinced that he is who he is. The queen of Sheba, she came from the ends of the earth. Praise God. Thank God you're here today. Thank God you came from the end of Yuli. The end of Fernadina. Some from Jacksonville. Some from, from Tennessee. Got people from Tennessee. My dear sister from Vermont. North Carolina. They came all the way because they heard their brother was preaching. Not true. They came because mom was having surgery. <laughs> if you want the truth. <laughs> so she came. And when she came, here's what she came to do. Queen of Sheba came, and she came to test him with hard questions. I love this. You know, King Jesus is not intimidated by life's hard questions. Every time he was cornered, every time he was facing, you know, these impossible scenarios, he always had the right answer. Always. Just read the Gospels. It's, it's amazing the wisdom that flowed from his mouth. It just the, so to the heart. So, I mean, tell you, that for me, when I would read the Gospels, that's the stuff that just would make me go, yes, that is right. Wow, what an answer. You know? You who are without sin cast the first stone. Oh! Perfect answer. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Whoa! I mean, to me, that stuff just rings so true. It's like, what a, what a man. What a king. What wisdom. What, what cutting right to the heart. And, and that's the one that's, that's making this. So she comes, and let me just read to you verse 2, 1 Kings 10, and I'm going to try to, you know, yeah, I'm a person who watches the clock, and I know. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great entourage, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Now, I love this because some religious approaches, if you will, you know, they just tell you, just believe because I said it. <laughs> and they discourage honest heart questions. Well, why this? And who are you? And I don't get that. And, 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 and I'm telling you, where the presence of God is, Jesus is not intimidated by those kind of real life questions. He's just not. 
And actually, those answers, because he did, he answered all. And I just want to say it like this. People have hard questions to real problems, and they're looking for real answers. Right? People have hard questions to real problems, and they're looking for real answers. Well, verse 3 tells Sheba's, Sheba's experience, Queen of Sheba's experience. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Now let me qualify something. The pastor might not have all your answers. Amen. But the king has all your answers. That's why it's important that we have a personal experience. I heard about you, but I didn't believe, she says, until I came and actually encountered you for myself. And I think one of, a, one of the greatest contributions we can make for ourselves, for others, those that are coming, is don't look at us so much. Look at him. The answer's not so much in me. I mean, you can see his working in my life, and you can be inspired, hopefully, by that. You can see the fruits of his works and, and be encouraged through that. But if you want some of these tough questions, a lot of times, you got to get the stuff from the source. You come to him. You, you let him be who he so longs to be in your life, which is Lord and Savior, King, friend, lover of your soul. The amazing truth that God, the King of the universe, would call me friend. I can't hardly get my head around that. That in itself ought to, you know, slay every competitor <laughs> in our hearts. Every, every, every competitor, everything in there that's trying to get our attention, it ought to all just kind of fall off to the side under the revelation that he, the king of the universe, who created everything that is, everything we see, us here today, he loves me and calls me friend. And he actually somehow mysteriously wants to be husband to us as a bride. Answered all the questions. So, <clears throat> if we are a people, and we are, we're growing in this, but a people who are crying out, God, I want to see you on your throne. I want to look at life through the lens of you on your throne. I don't want to look at all the problems first. I want to see you first. And then from you, I want to look at problems differently. I want to see problems as opportunities to bring glory to you because you're the problem solver. So the problem exists in many cases as an opportunity to glorify God. Really, you say, well, if God's in charge, why does he let all these problems exist? So people will call out to him, come on, and get some answers. And at the end of the day, they'll know that he's the source of life. People want to blame God like he's absentee. No, he's not absentee. He's actually giving people what they asked for and waiting for them to get tired of having what they asked for. So they'll start asking for the right stuff. Start asking for the right stuff. God, I want you. <laughs> I thought I needed a house, but I really needed you. thought I needed a wife, but I really needed you. Thank God for the wife. Thank God for the house. But at the end of the day, my real need is him. Let me keep all that in perspective. So a people that have him at the center, and that's us, and that's what we're, we're, we're hoping to grow in together, 
who are seeing life through that lens. There is a personal benefit. God begins to minister to us and untangle things and give us insights into problems and questions. But there's also a ministry that's born for others by our testimony. Notice what happened with Sheba. And I'm going to try to get the landing gear down here as we circle the runway. Son of a pilot. Thank you, Cindy and Karen. Um, notice what happens. Shiva asks these difficult questions and Solomon answers all of them to her. And she's in absolute awe of who he is. Her breath leaves her. I mean, she's, she's beside herself for the impact that it's having on her life. And then she begins to testify, and as she does, she makes reference. Some of her answers, some of her questions, some of the validation she was looking for to know if he was real and he was worth worshiping was because of what she saw on the people around his throne. So the condition of the people who had him at the center was part of what convinced her of his greatness. You can tell a lot of the greatness of a person by those who are around them. The condition of things around him. And that was the case with Sheba. Look at this. Uh, what, what happened? Let's see. Verse 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, notice this, the house that he had built. So she saw his wisdom, heard his wisdom, but she also observed the house he had built the food of his table, the setting of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And then she says this down in verse 8, Happy are your men, happy are your servants, who continually stand before you, and hear your wisdom. So in essence, she was just overwhelmed and lost her breath and was so impacted. Her life was changed because of him, but please hear it, and because of the effect he had had on others around him. The condition of those who were around him, which says to me, it's absolutely okay, not only okay, it's part of my witness to live a life that's blessed. Now, I'm not talking about the blabbing and grabbing and the get-rich schemes in Christendom. I, listen, I despise all of that manipulation stuff. I'm just talking about, as a believer, there ought to be a certain blessing resting on my life. Come on. That when people see me, it would be a reflection of the one that I serve. A reflection of the one that I serve. And that it would be a part of the witness that would make them go, ha, ha. Man, there's something to this guy, this king. It shouldn't, by the way, point to us. And that's the problem Christendom gets into often. We amass things and stuff, and we think that that's the sign of godliness, and it's not. And at the end of the day, we're all saying, look at us. We've missed the point. If what's going on is good in your life, it ought to point people to the one who made it good in your life. Not to you and me as if we're the author of the goodness. Happy, I love it. Happy are those who stand before you continually. 
So here's where we're going to land the plane. Need to be happy? Want to be happy? Stand before him continually. Happy. Blessed to be envied. Amplified. <laughs> Are those who stand before him continually. That again to me is a choice. God, I'm going to live a life in your presence. I want to be near you. You don't have to make me come. I want to come. That should be ultimately our testimony. I know there's a place where you have to tell yourself, get up, shut up, you're going. You know, I get that. I've been there. I've done that. But I'm talking overall, ultimately, if we're staring at the right guy, and if we're in the true presence of the true God, it shouldn't be a lot of arm twisting going on. All right, here it is. We're landing the plane with the dog story. And you said, oh, no. Yeah, here it is anyways. If you've heard this story before, I have a simple question for you. How many people have you told the story to? Because if you haven't, I'm going to keep telling it and keep telling it until you tell it. Amen. All right, so a dog has a bone. Would somebody else like to come tell it? Here we go, yeah. So the dog has a bone, and you, the owner, want to get the bone from the dog. So you have a choice to make. You can go try to wrestle the bone from the dog. But wisdom speaks to you and says, that dog's going to bite me if I try to grab the bone. And then wisdom speaks to you again. And wisdom says, why don't you go in the refrigerator and get a piece of steak? Yeah, get a piece of steak. And then why don't you go back outside with the piece of steak and throw the piece of steak on the ground just off to the side. And the dog will drop the bone and pick up the steak. That's wisdom speaking to you. And in essence, that's exactly what happens. No, why does that happen that way? Does it happen because the dog went to school, and in school he learned that steaks are better than bones. And he learned to do the math, and he got all the educational skills and tools, and they finally convinced. No, it doesn't happen because of that. It happens because when God made the dog, God wired the dog with certain appetites, and he placed different values on each appetite, some stronger than others, right? When it came to the dog with the bone and the steak, it was a no-brainer for the dog. Didn't even have to think about it, didn't need any training. It was by design. He saw it, his desire, God-given desire moved him. He dropped one and picked up the other, all right. Same thing is true of us. We were, by design, created to be lovers of God. We were created for God. And at the end of the day, our dominant desire, actual desire, dominant desire inside of us is to love God. The problem is we were sold a lie, sin entered in, and we ended up with a bone in our mouth. We ended up with a bone in our mouth, and so we're just trying to get whatever, you know, a little bit of you know, juices we can out of life. You drooling dogs, you. That was a joke, just lighten up, okay? <laughs> but isn't that true? I mean, we go around just kind of gnawing on stuff. How are you doing today? <laughs> 
my bone's bigger than your bone. I'm happier than you are. And we're all down here just gnawing our bones, getting what little juice God decided to leave for all of creation to still have. What little juice on the bone. You know, there are life's pleasures. There are little things that seemingly satisfy us and they give us a little, I feel pretty good. But we're just gnawing on a bone. And then, in the fullness of time, come on, stay with me. God sends His Son, the one we were created for, and He comes walking. And there's a couple guys in their fishing boat chewing a bone. And He says, come, follow me. And they leave their boat, their father, their heritage, and everything familiar to them, and they follow this man, Jesus. Why? Because he smelled like steak. <laughs> Come on, that's the gospel. It's the power of the gospel. And people are not dumb. People know the difference between plastic Christianity. You know, you can buy one of these little preschool playsets with the kitchen and the fake egg and the fake steak. Get a piece of fake steak and throw it down in front of a dog who's gnawing on a bone. He's going to look at you and go, yeah, right. That's what most people do with our Christianity today. Because it doesn't smell like the real thing. It doesn't smell like what we were created for. And our job, our, our privilege, is to be the fragrance of Christ for people. Our, our, our privilege is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and behold the king in his beauty and his glory. Eat to your fill. And then let your cup run over. And then start walking in front of a bunch of dogs with their bones in their mouth. <laughs> Come on, that's your job. You want to know your assignment? That's your job. Smell like Christ. Be Christ. And you don't have to work that up. It's him, not you. It's just a matter of you being with him. A lifestyle that's not being forced to do it, but has seen something by the Spirit and the grace of God. Amen. So the Queen of Sheba came, she was changed, she asked questions, and then she saw what was going on in the people. And she said, it's the real deal. What's going on with you? How are you going to get it fixed? Come, follow me, Jesus says. And I will make you. You can't make you. Your job is to follow. Jesus says, my job is to make. You hang out with me, and I'll do the work. That's the simple gospel. Stand up on your feet this morning. I just want to pray. I'm asking God, if you haven't caught the theme of this yet, I'm asking God for a great revival of the presence of God in us as his people. I want you to just close your eyes this morning if you don't mind. Maybe you're here today and in your heart you say, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven or not. I'm confused and I, the reality is I haven't opened my life to Christ formally. And uh, I'm concerned about that and I feel something here in this place today and I want to get that place fixed. Is that If your eyes are closed to everybody, just lift your hand. If you're in the room today and that's you, and you want somebody to pray with you today. All right? Anybody else in that place today? You say, I, I just, I want it right. 
I don't want to miss my moment today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Pray this prayer with me, all of us together here today. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you are who you are. I acknowledge my own little kingdom is not satisfying me. I've heard of your fame, and I want more. I come to you this morning with an open heart. I want to see for myself. I want you to change me. I believe that you love me, that you died for me, that I might live. I receive the forgiveness for my sin because you paid for them. I believe that you were raised from the dead, a triumphant king over death, over sin, over all my problems. I believe that you have forgiven me and I am yours. I invite you to be Lord. I acknowledge you're higher and greater than I. And I give myself to you and to your service. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. If you prayed that today for the first time, I would love for you after this meeting to come up and talk to me. I want to just encourage you uh, in what just happened in your life. Amen. Amen. I believe God who opens doors, opens them because of a plan and a future he has on the other side of that door. And for some here today, perhaps you just stepped through the door into eternal life by a simple confession of your faith. That door is not the end. It's a beginning of an awesome life in the presence of God. Amen. Can I get the worship team to come? And would you just do that first song y'all did today? It's real happy. It's upbeat. Come on, we're going to end with happy. And um, if you don't know how to move your limbs, I believe God will help you today. There's just, a, there's some, uh, just, just, just go ahead and, you know, it's okay. Happy are those who stand before him continually. You can enjoy him today. Amen. And uh, when this song is done, you're free to slip on out. In Jesus' name, pray you have a blessed afternoon. Don't forget about tonight, Berean School of the Bible. All are welcome to come, 6 o'clock tonight. And next weekend, a guest, and you don't want to lose your seat. I know it's shaped to your rear end, but somebody else might have it if you get here late. Come on, team. <laughs>